Good evening. Let's begin tonight by singing, Lord, we come before thee now. Lord, we come before thee now. Good evening and welcome to services this evening at West 7th Church of Christ. Especially those that are joining us through the radio, we're happy to have you listening with us. It is a cold night, winter's finally here, but I think our hearts will be warmed by the next few minutes that we spend together praising God and listening to His Word. Uh, if you're visiting with us or you weren't here this morning, there are, there are attendance pads, little black books in the front of you on the pews. If you would uh, get those out, if you see somebody you don't recognize, hand it to them and Fill that out, and we'll have a record of your attendance. This morning, we were praying for Caleb and Hope Rupert. Uh, Hope had been taken to the hospital. She was expecting, maybe a little early, but this afternoon, we have Dexter Kyle Rupert, five pounds, five ounces, and 18 and a half inches long. Proud grandparents are Troy and Lori Rupert. Tonight, Marty's going to lead us in singing, Marty DeJarnett. Josh Harden will do our scripture reading. James Thomas will have our prayer, and Randy Owens will deliver our message. Mike Forstoff will lead our closing prayer as we continue in song. If you'd like to follow along this evening, our scripture reading will come from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 21. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth.
Let's pray together. Almighty Father in heaven, we come before you and we recognize, Lord, that you are great, as we have just sung. Father, you are great in power, in mercy, and in love. And thank you, Father, so much for being merciful to us, for loving us, and for demonstrating that by sending your Son to save this sinful world. Father, we are so thankful that he was willing to leave heaven, to humble himself and become a man, and to suffer the cruel death that he suffered because of our sins. We, uh, we just give thanks, Father, that he was willing to do that, and we're so thankful that you raised him and that he reigns with you. And Lord, help us to remember that each day of our life and to live our lives in response to your wonderful love and that great gift. Father, thank you also for letting us be here tonight. Uh, May we be encouraged and strengthened by this opportunity to praise you and to to hear from your word and to to see our brothers and sisters and try to encourage them. I ask for a blessing on everyone that's able to be here tonight, Lord, and please bless those who, who weren't able to be here. Father, we also want to make some requests and Even this morning, Lord, we prayed for baby Rupert, and thank you for his arrival, and please continue to uh, bless him and help him to grow and be healthy and to ultimately, Lord, to be a servant of yours that makes a difference in your kingdom. And and thank you for answering our prayers. We also pray for all the others that are on our list that are sick or have lost loved ones or are just uh, shut-ins, whatever their needs are, Father. And then each of us has our own special concerns, Lord, and we just pray that you will uh, take those things and help us to not uh, be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication to make our requests known to you with thanksgiving and know that you care for us and that you will help us with whatever we're struggling with. Lord, we pray also request a blessing on this church that it will grow in spirit and in number. We pray that we will be evangelistic and look for opportunities to uh, bring others to be part of this family and to share with them the good news of what you have done for us through Jesus. We pray for our elders that you'll give them wisdom as they shepherd us and help each of us, Lord, to look for our way to minister, whatever that is, and to use the talents that you've given us. We pray also for our children's ministry as it continues to progress and the exciting things that are planned, Lord, we pray for your guidance in that and that your hand will be on that and that you will take it in the direction that it needs to go, that we can influence the most children for the most good, for your your glory, Lord. We pray uh, for our country as well, Father, that you'll bless our leaders um, at every level. Bless us as we choose new leaders uh, this year. May your will be done, Lord. And may your church uh, be the light uh, in this dark world. We also ask, Father, for a blessing as we start this new year and this new week. Lord, help us to to make some new commitments and and to make the changes that we need to 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 have an even greater impact on those that we're around. And we just pray that you'll put your hand on us and guide us in whatever way that we need. And, Lord, in all things, we pray that your will be done. Uh, that you will use us to cause that to be done and that uh, and whatever needs to happen, Lord, that you will cause your will to be done because we know that you want what's best for us. Uh, please watch over us through the remainder of this service. Please bless Randy as he speaks, Lord. Help us to listen and to apply these things to our lives. We ask all this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand, if you will, for the song before the lesson tonight.
so listen to our hearts. But words are not enough to tell you of our love, so listen to our hearts. You may be seated. Good evening. Glad you're here. I hope you brought your Bibles. You can open it to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're starting a new study. We're going to work through the book of Corinthians in 10 lessons. But with home Bible studies being the first and third, that's like every other. And so it'll take us several months to get through. Let me share a couple of things that you need to know um, as we jump into this study. Um, first, this is not necessarily going to be an easy listening kind of study. That's what you want. Um, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, it's called Go Deep and You Might Drown if you're looking for something light and simple because that's not what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. So I want to ask you um, to make a commitment to be here. Again, a little bit of a challenge with it being every other Sunday. Bring your Bibles with you. I'll try to have a study guide, a little outline that can help you to take notes and, and follow along. The title of the study is Go Deep because I believe that's Paul's challenge in this book for each of us individually as well as the church collectively to grow and, and to mature. But the words go deep are not describing the study. And I want to make sure you know that. Um, it's a, there's a difference there. Sunday nights is a challenging time uh, to preach uh, to teach uh, for a number of reasons, um, especially with the alternating with home Bible studies, um, but also to go deep. And some of you have done this before, different kinds of studies. You need consistent, like at least every week to meet. And then you need the, the people in the study to be there every time or, or almost every time. And for a book like 1 Corinthians, you need way more than 10 lessons way more. I listen to a lot of different people and how they preach and teach. I remember one guy, it took him over a year to get through the book of Romans. So when you say go deep, be careful what you ask for, right? Um, so just kind of letting you know, that describes the study. Um, so deep is really the challenge from Paul, because that's the message. It's about being wise, about being mature, and we'll get into that. The second thing I want you to know about the journey, I've kind of alluded to it, we're going to move at a pretty intense pace. We're going to kind of, sometimes it'll be an overview. This is not going to be a verse-by-verse verse study of 1 Corinthians. It's really going to be a, a theme-by-theme. Theme. And then last, I want to encourage you to not look at this as this is what we do on Sunday nights, but to let this may be a challenge for you to take it home with you. Uh, maybe study it more. That maybe what we do on Sunday nights is we sort of just open that topic, that theme, and, and present some things for you to think about. And then you go home and you search the scriptures and you pray to the Lord and let him teach you, guide you, and grow you. Because here's what I believe. I believe all of us need to be deepened. All of us need to be more intentional about our spiritual maturity. I put this on the screen, a quote by A.W. Tozer. Our churches these days are filled with soft breed of Christians who require a constant diet of fun in order to keep them coming back. Does that describe us? Does that describe you? I think we can be like that, where we can be entertainment and inspiration junkies. TVs, phones, tablets, we're looking for it everywhere, and we bring that thought to church with us. So we want to be challenged, but we don't want to change. We want to be fed, but we prefer the food to be served to us. We want unity in the church as long as everybody is united about the way I think on things. We want entertainment more than preaching. We want to serve as long as it's noticed and appreciated. We want to worship God with the songs as long as they're my style of songs. We want the Holy Spirit to lead our services as long as he doesn't go over an hour. We want the Bible to be taught as long as it's relevant to me. As long as it's not too uncomfortable. Paul would have never stood for that because Jesus didn't live and die for that. He's going to challenge us as he challenged his church in Corinth to go deep, to grow, to mature. 
Well, let me share a few things about the church in Corinth. Paul planted this church on his second missionary journey. He spent about a year and a half in Corinth, and at that time, that was significantly longer than he had been at other places. And I think the reason for that is when you study about the city, you realize what a worldly city it was. It was a tough place to do ministry, to, to plant a church. Well, three years later, he was in the city of Ephesus, and he received some disturbing reports about this, this church that he had started, that he had planted. Uh, it's believed that he received a letter from the church saying, we got problems, we got some issues, we need your help. You know, you're not here anymore, so help us out with this. So the book of 1 Corinthians is written to address many of the problems that they were dealing with. That Paul brought to mind to answer a lot of these divisive issues. And so when you go through the book, and if it's been a while since you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, some of this will kind of come back to you. Paul deals with a good variety of topics. In fact, he's going to speak very frankly about sex. So parents, be aware. This is like a PG-13 kind of chapter or a section in there. He deals uh, directly about a number of issues that are causing them problems. That's making them to be rather divisive and not at all representing the, the body of Christ the way that they should, that really they were looking more like the world than looking like their Lord. So tonight we're going to begin by looking at the first four chapters, and not all of them. So again, kind of a, a quick overview of that. In Paul's introduction of the book, he writes that the book is to the church at Corinth, but not just them. Look in verse 2 in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To all those everywhere. I believe when Paul wrote this, he was inspired by God to address these issues. And we'll talk about that more as we get into it. But I think Paul also realized that this was going to be kept this was going to be saved, and that people like you and I will be reading this thousands of years later. Here's what I want you to understand. I put this on your screen. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, it's not just true for them. It's also true for us. So when we read about it, we realize it was true for them, but there's many things that we can take home. What Paul writes to them, we need to hear. Maybe hear for the first time. Maybe you need to be reminded of. And these issues that challenge them still challenge us today. A second thing I want, to, want you to catch is that whenever Paul wrote a letter to the church, he would write to the church collectively, corporately, and there was an application there. But there's also a personal application. So you've got both of those going on here. There's a corporate application, and then there's the personal application. So as we go through this and we point out different things, or maybe as you underline in your Bible, think, what do I need to learn? What, what do I need to remember? How do I need to change? What do I need to start doing or stop doing? What do I need to do to grow deeper? And then third, in verse 10, Paul introduces really the first mark of maturity, and that's unity. Unity is a mark of maturity. To go deep for a church begins by moving from division to unity. In the first chapter, in verse 10, he wastes no time. He just jumps right into the deep end and said, Okay, you got problems? Let's deal with those. And he does that. And he does in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. And you're going to notice he uses that term several times. And I think that's by intention. Trying to help them to under understand that should be the, the type of spirit. That's the term that should describe their relationship. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, Paul knew they weren't that. And so he's writing this to challenge them to become that. There be no divisions among you, so you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So he's pleading for this. Now, in these first four chapters, he focuses on the main cause of the division. People were playing favorites. It was the name game. Who are you with? This is my favorite preacher. Look what he says in verse 12. It kind of defines the division. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. 
Another I follow Apollos. Another I follow Cephas. Still another I follow Christ. Now in this verse, Paul mentions four different divisions within the church. You might just jot notes on this. There were those who said, I follow Paul. Most believe this group of people would have been Gentiles. Those who didn't grow up as Jews, so they don't have that kind of religious background. Paul uh, sort of prided himself in being the apostle to the Gentiles, and he reached out to them. As a result, these Gentiles, they didn't have the Jewish background. They didn't understand the law like the Jews understand the law. They didn't have their, their religious background, their rituals. So they really didn't care a lot about that. The second group were those who followed Apollos. Apollos was known to be more of an intellectual. He was a better speaker. He was quite a teacher. And so those who considered themselves intellectual would be attracted to that and would want to follow him. And, and, and so they would say, I'm a, I follow Apollos. And then there's a third group, I follow Cephas. Well, this is another name for Peter. We know that. And Peter, in contrast to Paul, Peter was sort of like the Jewish apostle. He was the, the one that the Jews, who they shared that same background with him. And so he, he, they would be the ones who, like Peter, they followed God all their life. And when Jesus came, they continued to follow Jehovah God. But now they worship Jesus as well. But they hung on to their Jewish heritage. Still would worship in the synagogue. A lot of those things that were special and precious to them. They wanted to keep practicing those. And then there's the fourth group. Those that would say, I follow Christ. And at first read, you might, you might just kind of let your eyes follow on those three words, I follow Christ, and go, bingo. That's the answer, right? First three got it wrong. Fourth one was the correct answer. Well, maybe that's what Paul means here, but I think there's more to it. So here's what's happening in the city of Corinth. There were these believers who said, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I don't need to listen to Paul. I follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what Peter says. I follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what Apollos is teaching. I don't need anybody else. And so when they said, I follow Christ, it's believed by some that what they're saying is, I don't need anybody else. I don't need people. And we see that same mindset mentality today, right? I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I don't need a church. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. But apparently, you don't need your Bible either. Because your Bible tells you you do need a church. We are to have a body, a place to belong, a place where you can pray for others and serve others. And they can pray for you and serve you and take care and hold each other accountable. And you can contribute and be under the spiritual authority of, of the elders. So the church in Corinth has these four different groups, and Paul wants them to come together and to be united. But how do you do that? One of my first mission trips where we were teaching and did a lot of evangelism, they would not allow Americans to do the baptizing, even if the person that you study with wanted you to do it because there was the same kind of thinking. As if they were more spiritual, like they had a better beginning, and, and somehow it kind of put them at odds with other people. And so uh, they wouldn't allow us to do that. So one of the locals would come in in, in, the, in the church and, and help do the baptizing. Which is good, because if you saw the water, you wouldn't want to get in. I remember one time Marty and I were in Honduras, and we had some folks getting baptized, and they wanted us to do it. And I remember Marty got down in that water. And I was so thankful Marty was willing. But it's interesting. No matter who we are, where we are, we can play the people game. It happened then, and it can happen now, even in our own context. But how do you get these groups to come together? How do you get these four different mindsets who all think that they're right to come together? Well, don't you notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't try to get them to try to think alike on all the issues. He doesn't even get them to try to agree which one is the better one to follow. He doesn't play that game at all. Instead, he, he calls them to unity under the cross of Christ. He tells them really what they already know. He reminds them of eternal truths. He unites them in spite of their backgrounds, in spite of their differences. 
so they can still be together through Jesus Christ. I want you to look at your study guide there. Three points I want us to make. Going deeper. Going deeper from division to unity begins when we focus on Jesus. And you're going to see this message as Paul launches into this letter. Verse 13, he immediately points to Jesus and says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? In other words, he says, It's not me. It's not Apollos. It's not Cephas who saved you. Why are you making this about people? Why are you dwelling on personalities? Jesus is the one who forgave you of your sins. Jesus is the one who made you clean. And since you have this one great thing in common, all this other stuff is just that. It's other stuff. And this is what the church should look like, a group of people who are different, and yet they're united. They come together in this common bond. And Paul never, in this, in this whole letter, tries to get them to unite and to think alike on these secondary issues. But rather what he does, he spends his time and attention challenging them to go deep and realize what you do have in common. Look in chapter 2, the first five verses. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So Paul was telling them, listen, anything you found impressive about me had nothing to do with me. It was just the truth of God. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good teacher. It's Jesus Christ. Look in verse 5. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Folks, if you want to go deep, you need to circle verse 5. And let that be who you are. Let that be key to your faith might not rest on men's wisdom. Your parents, your preacher, your elders, what you've always heard the church, none of that. On God's power. So Paul takes the spotlight off himself, and he puts all the focus on Jesus. See, unity in the church is so much different than unity other places like in a country club. Think about a country club. Those folks can get along because they have so much in common. They're the upper echelon financially. They have a lot of the same interests. And, and so because of that, it's easy for them to get along. But in the church, we can be so different. We should be. So very different. A church should be the place where people can be so different and yet be focused together through Jesus Christ and have this unity that he's talking about. That's just how big and how great he is. Now the truth is there's all ways to, to illustrate this, but there's a certain game going on tomorrow night. Are you all aware of that? Eh, doesn't matter to us. We don't have a, a, a dog in that fight, do we? Or maybe you do. How many of you root for Tennessee? Raise your hand. Be proud. Okay. How many Vandy folks? All three of you. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Kentucky. Kentucky. Oh, and proud. I see that. Um, who's playing tomorrow? Um, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. Any Alabama fans? Can we do a little experiment? <clears throat> On the count of three... Whatever your team, and you've got to choose one. It has to be those. Whatever, whoever it is, I want you just to say it loud. Can we do that? On the count of three, you think about your team, and I want you to say it loud. One, two, three. Alabama! We're quite different, aren't we? All right. Let's do one more. What about your favorite kind of music? What do you listen to? What's on your player? What's your CD? Is it country? Is it rock? Is it classic? Is it rap? What is it? What's your favorite? I'm going to do the same thing. Ready? Count it. One, two, three. I want you to say, what's your favorite? Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. We're different, aren't we? What about this? Who's your Lord? 
Who's your Savior? Who died on the cross for your sins? It's Jesus. On the count of three, name your Savior. One, two, three. Jesus. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's what binds us together. That's our foundation. That's our hope. And that's what we need to keep saying to each other. As different as we are, what we have together is this common bond in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to notice about this division in the Corinthian church. It was not a biblical issue. If it was a biblical issue, Paul would have dealt with that. But that wasn't their problem. And unity should never come at the sacrifice of doctrinal purity. Unity should never come at the sacrifice of biblical truth. Here's something else I want you to notice. Notice it was not an issue of immoral behavior. In fact, in chapter 5, you might remember there was a problem of immoral behavior. In fact, it was pretty bad, and Paul deals with this. But that problem is not what's causing the division. Probably should have, in a way. Call the person out. They're acting like it's no big deal. So it wasn't a biblical issue. It wasn't a matter of, uh, it wasn't a matter of what the Bible said, what's right and wrong. It was preference. It was opinion. And that tends to be the most divisive thing among people, among churches. And it is so true. I read a study done in more than 400 churches. What's the most divisive issue? Number one, music style. Does that shock you? Music style. And it's not just old versus new. If you're like, uh, before we moved here from uh, Coleman, Alabama, there was a big Baptist church had this huge split, and it was about their music style. For years, they had piano and organ, and some wanted to bring in a guitar and a band, and huge stink. Split the church. It was awful. All of music style. Second most divisive issue, minister's leadership style. Third, use of finances. On down the list, decoration of church facilities. Proper worship attire. All these things, most of which aren't even mentioned in Scripture. And we get all upset about I hope you know, I think you do, that we are a non-denominational church. We do not affiliate with any denomination. We are a part of the restoration movement. We want to do things the way the Bible tells us to do. One of our founders of the restoration movement, also a part of the Second Great Awakening, Alexander Campbell, his plea, I want to share this quote. Listen to what he said. It's not the object of our efforts to make men think alike on a thousand themes. Let them think as they like on matters of human opinion and upon doctrines of religion. In other words, these interpretive issues that Scripture doesn't speak, that you can have a difference of interpretation. Provided that they hold to the head, Christ, and keep His commandments Indeed, if you wish, opinion isn't to cease or subside. You must not call up and debate everything that men think or say, or you may debate anything into consequence. He's right, isn't he? So as a church, our goal is to not be a place of uniformity, but a place of unity. Uniformity is where everybody's the same. And that's not unity, that's uniformity. Same age, dressed the same way, like the same kind of songs, same type of teaching. That's what we're talking about. But unity, by definition, requires us to be different, requires diversity. There's no diversity, then you cannot claim unity. And a church can be the most beautiful place to illustrate that. When you can have the head of a multi-million dollar company get on his knees and pray for an addict or a widow to get out of her seat and go over and sit with a single mom so she can help with the kids. That's church. As different as they can be, but united together, this is a place where 
so many things shouldn't matter if you're rich or poor, color of your skin, married or single, if you dress really nice, or if you don't dress really nice. We have Jesus in common. You've heard the saying, I don't know who, who started, who said it first, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's what Paul is teaching in these opening chapters. Listen, it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, it's not about Cephas. It's all about Jesus. Well, number two, go deep. We go deeper, we move from division to unity. We have to stand on God's wisdom. And Paul makes this clear to the church at Corinth that he's not giving his own opinion. He's telling them what God says is true. Look in chapter 2, verse 13. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. It can be a temptation for churches today to go light on Bible. You know what I mean by that? And that can be a temptation because we live in a consumer mindset and, and people want to be entertained and people want, uh, what's, what's the next gimmick? And if we have to get on social media to entice people to come to worship, like, what does that say about us? I believe our intentions are good, but the power comes from God. We need to always remember that. That's why we as a church are committed to standing on the Word of God in everything that we do, to teach the truth of Scripture. Paul told Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, and we believe that. And we want that to be our standard. Paul says here in chapter 2, verse 14, that some people think of God's wisdom as foolish. That word can be interpreted as silly, and that may be the case. A couple of weeks ago, I was looking on a social media site about a presidential candidate's faith. It was one of those where there was, you know, hundreds of comments. And so when I clicked on, I just read, I don't know, 20 or 30 of them. And it was amazing to me because some of the posts were not of people of faith. In fact, they were very critical about those who follow Jesus. That man who lived thousands of years ago and followed that antiquated book. And I read several of those posts, and I'm, I'm telling you, it was, it was vile. And it just reminded me, and I needed to read it. That's what people of the world think of followers of Jesus. That we follow this, this Jew who lived 2,000 years ago in this outdated book. No wonder we're so judgmental and narrow-minded. They would call us foolish. Some of the posts I was reading, that seems like a nice word for their sentiments. But that's how they think of us. But we believe Scripture is the truth of God, and it can be trusted. And that's what unites us. Let me read another quote by Alexander Campbell. You're probably more familiar with this one. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. When the churches start speaking about things that the Bible doesn't address, get ready, because trouble's going to come. You're either going to have a legalistic church because you've invented things that the Bible doesn't say, or you're going to have all kinds of division because everybody's preaching their own interpretation. So we go to the Word of God to determine where we stand. And let me tell you, that's an ongoing challenge because people get really emphatic about what they believe. Let me give you one example. I think we as a church have to be careful about that because people say, well, this is what is right, and so, Randy, you need to preach on this, or elders, you need to speak that from the pulpit so that everybody knows this is right. Let me give you an example. The Bible tells parents to rear their children in the Lord, and we know that. So some will make the decision in their home that that means homeschool because they don't want to subject them to worldly thinking. And so they want to make sure they're in control, and they choose homeschool. Or others might think, well, the best way to do that is to enroll my children in a Christian school. That's the best way to make sure that they get Christian teaching. And yet other families would say, you know, we are to be a light in this dark world. I'm going to teach my children at home, and I'm going to teach them well, and I'm going to put them in public school so they can let their light shine and know what this world is about. 
Who's right? What are we as a church supposed to do? This is what you are to do, families. That's not our call. So each family needs to make that decision. How do you best rear your children in the Lord? And we as a church need to teach the Bible and encourage those families to do their best. I think for some people, it's as if they're looking for things to disagree with. Do you know anybody like that? It's like they come to church and everything's going good. And, and it's like they're judging the song selection and they're judging the PowerPoint. Up. Everything is going so well until during the closing song, whoever was doing the sound, he hit the mute button. Ruined the whole thing. They're looking for the problem. They're looking to be critical. Do you remember that old game? At least it was, I remember when I was a child. Um, Love bug. Some people called it slug bug. When you saw a Volkswagen Beetle, you'd hit your neighbor, your brother, your sister. Now, there were rules about it. You know, you had him in the arm, the shoulder, maybe in the leg. You couldn't, like, punch him in the face, you know, but it was a good hit. You know, you wanted to know that you, you, know, that you hit him. And so you had to pay attention. You had to look. You want to be the first one to see it. Love book. You'd sock your neighbor. Anybody else play that? Am I the only one from a demented home? <laughs> I remember that one guy, he said they expanded that to PT Cruiser. When they, those came out, they called them Bruiser Cruisers. So now you got two cars to look for. We come to church. We're looking for a bug. Looking for a cruiser. Looking for a reason to hit someone. And we can do it. Because church is full of people. And there's always something you're not going to like. Last year, at West 7th, we had 17 baptisms, if I counted right. 37 new people made this their church home. That's something to celebrate. That's what we rejoice with. Teach the truth. Lift up the Lord. And one of our young people, maybe it's a stranger, whomever it is, when they name the name of Jesus, we unite with them and say, I remember the day I did it too. And if we're male, female, married, single, it doesn't matter. We are one. We are family. That's what we are to be. One more thought. As we move from division to unity, we go deep by growing in a spirit of humility. Look in chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. I'll be quick through this. What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I love Paul's spirit of humility here. He's modeling in the way he writes, the way he lived, what he wants them to be. This, this same spirit of humility. It's not about what I did that causes you to grow. This is God working. It's not about Apollos. This is God working. And if you have division in the church or division in your family, I guarantee you at its core is the word pride. And you don't have to dig deep to find it. Think about what pride does. Pride makes me selfish. Pride makes me selfish. Pride says I deserve to get what I want. Puts my needs ahead of others. Pride makes me argumentative. Proverbs 13.10 says pride only breeds quarrels. At some point, so many disagreements are just about that. Less about who's right or wrong and more about who's going to win. Pride makes me opinionated. Makes me think my way is the best way. Everybody else is a fool. Everybody else is... Well, I won't even say the word. Pride makes me defensive. Somebody disagrees with me, well, they must be wrong. They must not like me. They must have a problem. Even if it's an insignificant issue, pride takes it personally. Pride makes me prejudiced. Makes me intolerant of others. Makes me not want to be around people who are different from me. That's pride. But Paul writes to a group of people that I dare say, if you and I were visiting Corinth in that day and we went to their worship, we would say, this is not 
the church and might not even stay to worship with them. But Paul doesn't do that. He calls them brothers. And he models this amazing humility. You want to go deep? Be humble. That's how you go deep. You want to be challenged? Maybe that could be your take-home for the week. Think about that. Let that be your prayer. God, where's my pride? How do I need to grow in humility? The church is to be a place of unity. And at the core of that is humility. That's who Jesus is. So maybe I ask you, what sacrifice do you need to make in order to be united? Maybe you need to go first with somebody. Maybe you need to look the other way. Maybe you need to go back and just read the Bible and say, wait a minute, Randy, that's, that's an opinion. That's not a biblical issue. Jesus sacrificed his life for the church. And if you remember, his prayer in John 17 is that we would be one. That we would be one. Tonight we close by giving you the opportunity to name the name of Jesus. Have your sins washed away in baptism. Or if we can pray for you in any way, would you come as we stand and sing to encourage you? Once again, we want to thank everyone for coming out and worshiping with us this evening. If you're not able to worship this morning, the Lord's Supper remains prepared. It is in the, uh, uh, the chapel area. If you would exit as we sing our closing song tonight through this door up here to my right and follow the hallway all the way around, uh, that's where the chapel is located and you'll be served there at that time. Final song will be Now the Day is Over. <clears throat> Now the day is over, night is drawing nigh, shadows of
across the sky. Jesus gives the Then we, Father, we come to you as our Father, our Creator, and our God. And, Father, we praise your holy name, Father, and we pray that each of us will continue to grow in our relationship with you, Father. And we pray that uh, as we leave today that uh, we'll keep our focus on Jesus, Father, and we pray that we'll continue to see you as our God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. <laughs>